0: Welcome to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room's first ever inaugural Poetry Playhouse. I am joined here with Erica. Hi, Erica. Hey, Andrew. Um, sadly, Adam, when we were recording this, um, has hopped out of Zoom, but you will hear his voice, don't worry. All of you Adam Katz fanatics, um, he is present in the Playhouse. Um, We are calling this not only our Poetry Playhouse, but we are recording this and releasing it literally on the last day of um, National Poetry Month, so we couldn't have picked a better day. Um, Also, Erica reminded me that it's Global Poetry Month, um, so we have that to add as well. Tonight, members of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room are going to share some of their favorite poems, all of which are in the public domain. We are really protecting ourselves with copyright. Um, And we've included links to all of the poems on our website for when the blog premieres. So please, as this is premiering, you now have access to see the links. So check it out. Check out our newly launched website Erica has put a lot of time and we've had a lot of meeting discussions about it. So we're so excited to share it. Um, And Erica, right? Isn't there a section for listeners to comment on the episode?
1: There will indeed be places for listeners to comment and to share. And we hope that it gives you an opportunity to interact with us and to interact with each other, which sometimes we miss out on in uh, other formats.
0: Yes. So please use the format. We really want to see you go back and forth with your own favorite poems, too. So we're going to be tweeting this out and Facebooking it. Um, Anyone who wants to send their favorite poems, if you have recommendations, we're going to continue. This is not our only playhouse. This is the inaugural one. but And we did keep it contained to just those of us who are recording to just make sure we could launch it for you, which we did. And we've decided as a team that we're going to open it up to the public to watch eventually. Um, so, you know, we hope to see a lot of you attend. Um, we're going Does to be that doing. I mean,
1: they'll get to see our smiley faces.
0: Yes, yes. They
1: do.
0: <laughs> um, we literally will pull back the curtain for you. Um, and, oh, we do have. Sam will be reading one of his own poems and he gave us permission to use it. So if you have your own poem you wanna read, of course you could do that here um, in the Playhouse. Um, That is our only um, contemporary poetry that, you know, you own the copyright to. So um, that is more than welcome. Uh, to do. So any of you who want to read your own poetry or you're really interested to be part of our Playhouse as a performer, please email us. Um, Erica, can you remind the listeners of our email address?
1: Sure, you can email us at ivorytowerboilerroom at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook and you should probably give them the Facebook and the Twitter handle so that I don't make a mistake. I sure. forget sometimes. Yeah, we
0: have a lot of um, variations of our name going out there. So um, the Twitter is at Ivory Boiler Room and the Facebook is the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Um, basically, if you search in Google Ivory Tower Boiler Room, <laughs> you will see all of our variations, um, an amalgam, so to speak. So, we're really excited to present the Playhouse. I'm wearing, you can't see it, but maybe I'll take a picture for the blog space. There you go. I like that idea, I think you should. I have the, I read um, queer people shirt. And as you'll hear, I read a very queer Victorian author. I'm not gonna give it away. Um, And we have kind of a Theme that was established as everyone was reading their poems. Do you want to speak, Erica, to the theme that you saw?
1: Well, I, I think it's interesting too the, the, about the theme. Um, and by the way, the poet I read also, queer poet. <laughs> um, but I think that, that what's interesting to about the theme, which is not queer poets, by the way, is that none of us consulted with each other as we made our choices. We shared an email and it said, sign up tell us who you want to read or what you want to read and show up um but um i guess it was kind of a gothic disassociative a little bit spooky kind of which is interesting because it's you know spring and everything is blooming and it's light outside here and and everything as we're recording this and we're reading these dark poems
0: yeah Is our psyche actually matching the weather outside? And there's that, um, like you said, disassociative juxtaposition. Yeah, so a lot of our poems actually, some of them speak directly to spring and the turning of a season and Mm -hmm. how to work through trauma and work through death. And yeah, these are... These are pandemic poems. Um, I
1: think, yeah, I think you you're right, and that's that's kind of like I said, interesting that nobody talked to each other ahead of time about you know certainly not you and Adam and I who talk just daily in some you know permutation.
0: Yeah, and um. <laughs> You will hear after each individual person who introduces themselves, they'll say where they're broadcasting from, which is always exciting, what poem they're reading. And then all of us come back together and we give a reading of Christina Rossetti's Goblin Market. So there, yes, there is fear and chaos and destruction, but you'll be happy to know we've ended on a turning point towards optimism. So mm-hmm. all is not lost in that poem.
1: I think we should sh- should share too, why Goblin Market? Why Why did we pick Goblin Market?
0: Yeah, so it kind of, thank you, Erica, for the, <laughs> not that Erica and I haven't, we've uh, rehearsed this a little, um, but, I'll read just a quote from Matthew Zapruder, who I really liked his Why Poetry book. I liked it so much that I assigned it when I've taught Intro to Poetry as a way of easing students with their anxiety around poetry. Um, And this is what he speaks to. Why does that anxiety exist? Um, So, He says, I really do think that so much of what keeps people away from poetry is a firmly held and incorrect idea about poetic language that whatever is on the page can't possibly be what is quote really meant. It's a paradox because to read poetry is to look for that transcendent transcendence poetry can give the way it can bring us out of ordinary experience into different levels of understanding or more exciting, even magical realms. But in order for that to happen, a reader has to at first be completely attentive to the words on the page and read at least at first in the same way we would a piece of prose or any writing. Otherwise, there can be no meaning." Well, thank you, Matthew Zapruder. And I'll use that as a transition. I think what he says about thinking that what's on the page isn't exactly what you can interpret as the meaning and the language is that red herring that, no, what you hear us say and the imagery it conjures, like there are goblins in Goblin Market. Like there is a market. Um, now the figurative language is what I'm always drawn to in Goblin Market is this fairy tale like Brothers Grimm, Reimagining of confronting a panic and trying to work through an obstacle. Um, but, like Eric and I were discussing off the air, there's a lot of undercurrents of disturbing behavior that you might find yourself imagining and interpreting, and that is there for you, if that's there for you, it is valid as an interpretation. So yeah, that's what excites me about Goblin Market.
1: And I mean, I write a lot of poems. (laughs) I do, Um, you read some of them. And I mean, as somebody who writes poems, yeah, I can certainly speak to the idea that sometimes it really is just what's on the page. And sometimes there's layers, like, what's in my head is one thing and it's on the surface and I write these words and what I write into those words is important but it's not just what I write into the words it's what you read in those words I mean it's like the phrase that we were talking about when I was talking about Spanish moss you know there's a lot of ways people are are going to see that
0: I really want them to hear
1: oh oh that that what was it it was something like um oh I can't remember exactly what it was but it was something oh desire dripped something, something about desire dripping like Spanish moss from the trees mm. um and it was a scene with that I was writing or something I was writing with with two people who were awkwardly interested in each other um yeah. strangely in a short story which I never write but uh, I'm making an effort here
0: yeah, in just that sense, I think that's a great transition into our first poem you'll hear um, from Mary who reads The Raven, right? And The Raven, a lot of you might've read it in middle school or it's gonna bring you back to grade school. Like the simile you created with desire being compared to Spanish moss, Right, there's the figurative device, you have the image of the moss, but right, what is the actual, what's behind the simile? What is the theme that you're trying to drive at? And I think that's what, even with the raven, yes, does the raven always quote nevermore? Yes, <laughs> right, that's the continual repetition. Um, but it's not just about the raven squawking. Like no. It exists. Like, that's what's a pruder. I really like it is there and it is on the page. But what does it conjure out of you, the listener, when you hear us recite these verses? It's the effect of your own where your mind goes to. And that's what I really like about poetry is it's an immersive experience that. Yeah, definitely exists with the other genres. I am still a fan of prose. I love prose, but there is something about that fragmentary, just it got there on the page and you're trying to piece together what else is left out of the conversation. So we're so happy to welcome you all to the Playhouse. We can't wait to continue. And yes, we will turn to prose. Like we've been teasing, there is The Great Gatsby coming up in the summer. Um, and But I will say not even that is all contained in the words. There's a lot of um, poetics involved in every writing. So maybe, Erica, can you actually bring up, I think before we end our intro, what you said about the root of poetry Or maybe like why start with poetry with its origin
1: because poetry is really at the root of storytelling it's it's oral tradition it's the the beginnings of literacy it you know are, are in poetry it's how we learn to tell stories and even as you know even now as small children and I have two children so I've been through a lot of nursery rhymes and poems, and I um I have a thirteen year old who I read um, Paul Revere with
0: oh, every yeah.
1: year on her birthday. Yeah. Um,
0: and the rhyme scheme, yeah, of Paul Revere it's, sticks with you.
1: Sure. Yeah,
0: it's sure. A great-
1: on the eighteenth of April in seventy five. You know, I probably will never forget.
0: Yeah, well, it's like Uh, we all hear the raven, those lines will stay with us. And so (laughs) many of the poems we all, I'm not sure if, I think almost every poem has a rhyme scheme. Um, If not, I know Goblin Market, we end on a rhyme scheme. Um, The poem I read has a very strict rhyme Um, and it puts you in that dream state um, so yeah, but that kind of rhyming really helps with your memory, literacy, um, and that oral tradition. Like, like We are bards, you know, we are kind of revisiting that bard tradition. And yeah, I think that's why poetry, that's why we're starting here is for that first Playhouse experience. Um,
1: and I appreciate you indulging me.
0: Yeah, oh, and Erica wanted to start with poetry, but I, I, I agreed. Yeah, agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> so on that note, we welcome you all. And now let's begin. The following poem will be read by Adam Katz fellow ivory tower boiler room co-host
2: so um this is called uh yubilate anno rejoice in the lamb by christopher smart and the story that i heard is that it was actually written at least in part on the wall of the sanitarium where he was staying because he i don't i don't i don't know the full story but he ended up in a sanitarium um and the, th- this is the most often quoted passage, um, which begins, for I will consider my cat, Jeffrey. And you'll see why I like it. Um, so from Yubilate Angno, Christopher Smart. For I will consider my cat, Jeffrey, for he is the servant of the living God, duly and daily serving him. For at the first glance of the glory of God in the East, he worships in his way. For this is done by wreathing his body seven times round with elegant quickness. For then he leaps up to catch the musk, which is the blessing of God upon his prayer. For he rolls upon prank to work it in. For having done duty and received blessing, he begins to consider himself. For this is done, uh, for this he performs in 10 degrees. For first, he looks upon his forepaws to see if they are clean. For second, he kicks up behind to clear away there. For thirdly, he works it upon a stretch with the forepaws extended. For fourthly, he sharpens his paws by wood. For fifthly, he washes himself. For sixthly, he rolls upon wash. For seventhly, he flees himself that he may not be interrupted upon the beat. For eighthly, he rubs himself against a post. For ninthly, he looks up for his instructions, for tenthly he goes in quest of food for having considered God and himself he will consider his neighbor, for if he meets another cat he will kiss her with kindness, for when he takes his prey he plays with it to give it a chance, for one mouse in seven escapes by his dallying, for when his day's work is done his business more properly begins, for he keeps the Lord's watch in the night against the adversary, For he counteracts the powers of darkness by his electrical skin and glaring eyes. For he counteracts the devil who is death by brisking about the life. For in his morning orisons, he loves the sun and the sun loves him. For he is of the tribe of tiger. For the cherub cat is a term of the angel tiger. For he has the subtlety and hissing of a serpent which in goodness he suppresses. For he will not do destruction if he is well fed, neither will he spit without provocation. For he purrs in thankfulness when God tells him he's a good cat. For he is an instrument for the children to learn benevolence upon. For every house is incomplete without him, and a blessing is lacking in the spirit. For the Lord commandeth Moses, commanded Moses concerning the cats, at the departure of the children of Israel from Egypt, for every family had one cat at least in the bag, for the English cats are the best in Europe, for he is the cleanest in the use of his forepaws of any quadruped, for the dexterity of his defense is an instance of the love of God to him exceedingly, for he is the quickest To his mark of any creature, for he is tenacious of his point, for he is a mixture of gravity and waggery, for he knows that God is his savior, for there is nothing sweeter than his peace when he is at rest. For there is nothing brisker than his life when in motion, for he is of the Lord's poor, and so indeed is he called by benevolence perpetually, poor Joffrey, poor Joffrey the rat has bit thy throat. For I bless the name of the Lord Jesus that Joffrey is better. For the divine spirit comes about his body to sustain it in complete cat. For his tongue is exceedingly pure so that it has in purity what it wants in music. For he is docile and can learn certain things. For he can set up with gravity, which is patience upon approbation, for he can fetch and carry, which is patience in employment, for he can jump over a stick, which is patience upon proof positive, for he can spraggle upon waggle at the word of command, for he can jump from an eminence into his master's bosom, for he can catch the cork and toss it again, for he is hated by the hypocrite and the miser, for the former is afraid of detection, for the latter refuses the charge. For he camels his back to bear the first notion of business, For he is good to think on, if a man would express himself neatly. For he made a great figure in Egypt for his signal services, For he killed the Ichnuman rat, very pernicious by land, For his ears are so acute that they sting again. For from this proceeds the passing quickness of his attention, for by stroking of him I have found out electricity. For I, I perceive God's light about him, both wax and fire, for the electrical fire is the sub- spiritual substance which God sends from heaven to sustain the bodies of both man and beast. For God hath blessed him in the variety of his movements, for though he cannot fly, he is an excellent clamorer for his motions upon the face of the earth are more than any other quadruped, for he can tread to all the measures upon the music, for he can swim for life, for he can creep.
3: Hi, my name is Mary DePippi. I'm from Blackwood, New Jersey. I'm currently in my car, and I will be reading The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. Ah, distinctly I remember, it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember brought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly, I wished for the morrow, vainly, I had sought to borrow, from my books or cease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before. So that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, "'Tis some visitor, entreating entrance at my chamber door. Some late visitor, entreating entrance at my chamber door. This is it, and nothing more." Presently, my soul grew stronger Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there, wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal had ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was but whispered word, Lenore. And this I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning. Soon again I heard a tapping, somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see, then what thereat is, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment and this mystery explore tis the wind and nothing more open here i flung the shutter when with many a flirt and flutter in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore not the least obeisance made he not a minute stopped or stayed he but with mine of lord or lady perched above my chamber door Perched upon a bust of Pallas just above my chamber door, perched and sat, and nothing more. This ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore. Though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, art sure no craven? Ghastly, grim, and ancient raven. Wandering from the nightly shore, tell me, thy lordly name is on the nightly Plutonian shore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Much I mild, marveled at this ungainly fail to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living being. Ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculpture bust above his chamber door with such a name as nevermore. But the raven sitting lonely on the placid bust spoke only that one word as if his his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather, not a fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered. Other friends have flown before. On the morrow, he will leave me as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, Nevermore. Startled at the stillness, broken by reply, so aptly spoken, doubtless, said I. What it utters, it's only stock and store. Caught from some unhappy master, whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster till his songs one bore, one burden bore, till the dirges of his hope, that melancholy burden bore of never, nevermore. But the raven still beguiling all my fancy into smiling. Straight I wheeled a cushion seat in front of bird and bust and door. Then upon the velvet sinking with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er, but whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er, she shall pass, shall press, ah, nevermore. Then methought the air grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer, swung by seraphim whose footfalls tinkle on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee, by these angels he hath sent thee. Respite, respite, and nepenthe from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff, O oh, quaff, this kind nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempest set or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate y'all undaunted, yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there bomb in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, I said. Prophet, said I. Thing of evil. Prophet still. If bird or devil. By that heaven that bends above us. By that God we both adore. Tell me his soul with sorrow laden if. Within the distant Aden. It shall clasp a sainted maiden. Whom the angels named Lenore. Clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word or sign of parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked upstarting, Get thee back into the tempest at the night's Plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thou soul has spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy, break from th- take thy beak from out my heart, and take thy form from my- off my door, quoth the raven, nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of Pallas, just above my chamber door, and his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadows on the floor and my soul from out the shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore.
4: Okay, Uh, hi, I'm Benta Wittebeck reading to you from Port Jefferson on Long Island, New York. And uh, I'm reading Porphyria's Lover by Robert Browning. Because I love his dramatic monologues. Uh, He has a way of exploring deviant minds that I really like. So, Porphyria's Love. The rain set early into night. The sullen wind was soon awake. It tore the elm tops down for spite and did its worst to vex the lake. I listened with heart fit to break when glided in porphyria. Straight she shut the cold out and the storm and kneeled and made the cheerless great blaze up and all the cottage warm, which done she rose and from her form withdrew the dripping cloak and shawl and let her soiled gloves by untied her hat and let the damp hair fall. And last she sat down by my side and called me. When no voice replied, she put my arm about her waist and made her smooth wide shoulder bare and all her yellow hair displaced. And stooping, made my cheek like there and spread all her yellow hair murmuring how she loved me. She too weak for her heart's endeavor to set its struggling passion free from pride and vain attires to sever and give herself to me forever. But passion sometimes would prevail Nor could tonight's gay feast restrain a sudden thought of one so pale for love of her and all in vain. So she was come through wind and rain. Be sure, I looked up at her eyes, happy and proud. At last, I knew Porphyria loved me. Surprise made my heart swell, and still it grew while I debated what to do. That moment she was mine. Mine, fair, perfectly pure and good. I found a thing to do. And o'er her hand, one long yellow string, I wound three times her little throat around and strangled her. No pain felt she, I'm quite sure she felt no pain. As a shot bud that holds a bee, I warily opened her lids. Again laughed the blue eyes without a strain. And I, untightened next, the tress about her neck, her cheek once more blushed, bright beneath my burning kiss. I propped her head up as before, only this time my shoulder bore her head, which droops upon it still. The smiling, rosy little head, so glad it has its utmost will, that all it scorned at once is fled, and I, its love, am gained instead. furious lover, she guessed not how her darling one wish would be heard. And thus we sit together now all night long, we have not stirred. And yet God has not said a word.
0: Hi, this is Andrew Rimby. Uh, I think all of you out there know me, Um, but I will say I am coming to you from Port Jefferson, Long Island, like Benta. Um, If I look through the trees, I can see her mystical house. Um, And that's a good segue um, to the poem that I'm reading, which is Algernon Swinburne's The Garden of Proserpine. And on our website for the episode, I'm including the Dante Gabriel Rossetti, brother to Christina his painting of Proserpine. So here it is, The Garden of Proserpine. Here, where the world is quiet, here, where all trouble seems, dead winds and spent waves riot in doubtful dreams of dreams. I watch the greenfield growing for reaping folk and sowing, for harvest time and mowing, a sleepy world of streams. I am tired of tears and laughter and men that laugh and weep of what may come hereafter for men that sow to reap. I am weary of days and hours, blown buds of barren flowers, desires and dreams and powers and everything but sleep. Here life has death for neighbor and far from eye or ear, one waves and wet winds labor Weak ships and spirits steer. They drive adrift and wither. They wot not who make thither, but no such winds blow hither, and no such things grow here. No growth of moor or copus, no heather flower or vine, but bloomless buds of poppies, green grapes of proserpine. Pale beds of blowing rushes, where no leaf blooms or blushes, save this whereout she crushes for dead men, deadly wine. Pale without name or number in fruitless fields of corn, they bow themselves and slumber all night till light is born. And like a soul belated in hell and heaven unmated by cloud and mist abated comes out of darkness morn. Though one were strong as seven, he too with death shall dwell nor wake with wings in heaven, nor weep for pains in hell. Though one were fair as roses, his beauty clouds and closes, and well, thou love reposes. In the end, it is not well. Pale, beyond porch and portal, crowned with calm leaves she stands, who gathers all things mortal with cold, immortal hands. Her languid lips are sweeter, than loves who fears to greet her, to men that mix and meet her from many times and lands. She waits for each and other, she waits for all men born, forgets the earth her mother, the life of fruits and corn, and spring and seed and swallow, take wing for her and follow, where summer song rings hollow and flowers are put to scorn. There go the loves that wither, the old loves with wearier wings, and all dead years draw thither, and all disastrous things, dead dreams of days forsaken, blind buds that snows have shaken, wild leaves that winds have taken, red strays of ruined springs. We are not sure of sorrow, and joy was never sure. Today, will die tomorrow. Time stoops to no man's lure, and love grown faint and fretful, with lips but half regretful, sighs and with eyes forgetful, weeps that no loves endure. From too much love of living, from hope and fear set free, we thank with brief thanksgiving, whatever gods may be, that no life lives forever, that dead men rise up never, that even the wariest river winds somewhere safe to see. Then star nor sun shall waken, nor any change of light, nor sound of water shaken, nor any sound or sight, nor wintry leaves nor vernal, nor days nor things diurnal, only the sleep eternal in an eternal night.
1: (laughs) Hi, I'm Erica Gramey and I'm in Central Florida. I have Emma Lazarus's confused dreams. O oh, strange, dim otherworld revealed to us, beginning there where ends reality, lying twixt life and death and populace, with souls from either sphere now enter we thy twisted paths, barred is the silver gate, but the wild carven doors of ivory spring noiselessly apart, between them straight, flies forth a cloud of nameless, shadowy things, with harpies imps and monsters, small and great, blurring the thick air with darkening wings. All humors of the blood and brain take shape and fright us with our own imaginings. A trouble weighs upon us, no escape. From this unnatural region can there be? Fixed eyes stare on us, wide mouths, grin and gape. Familiar faces out of reach we see, Fain would we scream to shatter with a cry, the tangled woof of hideous fantasy. When lo, the air grows clear, a soft fair sky shines overhead. Sharp pain dissolves in peace beneath the silver archway quietly. We float away, all troublous visions cease by a strange sense of joy we are possessed by and spirit soothed in perfect rest.
5: All right. Uh, hi, my name is Sam Feinsover. I'm originally from Long Island. I live, I'm calling in from Brooklyn, New York. I'd like to read an original poem of mine called Mercy. All right. I got drunk at your dive bars and slept upon your wooden hull, sucking up liquor and water alike as if to bail out the ship. I slept in your abandoned buildings and burnt my sneakers by the fire. I really thought that I could wipe away my whole past with every stroke of a rusted razor. But I always seemed to wake up in your city, awoken by the tough love light bulb of reality. But where some chose to embrace its merciful gaze, I preferred to complain of the heat and that whatever was inside that bulb could give me cancer. Now I live in a more moderate climate, although my room's a little cold. I spend my days assisting local travelers and throwing you out of my mind. Thank you.
0: We now invite you to our group performance of Christina Rossetti's Goblin Market.
1: Morning and evening maids heard the goblins cry. Come buy our orchard fruits, come buy, come buy. Apples and quinces, lemons and oranges, plump unpecked cherries, melons and raspberries, bloom down che- cheek peaches, sword headed mulberries, wild and freeborn cranberries, crab apples, dewberries, pineapples and blackberries, apricots, strawberries, all ripe together in summer weather, morns that pass by, fairies that fly, come by, come by, our grapes fresh from the vine pomegranates full and fine dates and sharp boluses rare pears and green gauges damsons and bilberries taste them and try currants and gooseberries bright fire like barberries figs to fill your mouth citrons from the south sweet to tongue and sound to eye come by come by
4: Evening by evening, among the brookside rushes, Laura bowed her head to hear Lizzie veiled her blushes, crouching close together in the cooling weather with clasping arms and cautioning lips, with tingling cheeks and fingertips. Lie close, Laura said, pricking up her golden head. We must not look at goblin men. We must not buy their fruits. Who knows upon what soil they fed their hungry, thirsty roots. Come by, call the goblins hobbling down the glen.
5: Oh, cried Lizzie. Laura, Laura, you should not peep at goblin men. Lizzie covered up her eyes, covered close lest they should look. Laura reared her glossy head and whispered like the restless brook. Look Lizzie! look Lizzie! down the glen tramp little men. One hauls a basket, one bears a plate, one lugs a golden dish of many pounds weight. How fair the vine must grow whose grapes are so luscious. How warm the wind must blow through those fruit blushes. No, said Lizzie. No, no, no. Their offers should not charm us. Their evil gifts would harm us. She thrust a dimpled finger in each ear, shut eyes, and ran. Curious Laura, close to linger, wondering at each me- merchant man. One had a cat's face, one whisked a tail. One tramped at a rat's pace, one crawled like a snail. One like a wombat prowled obtuse in fury. One like a rat tumbled hurry-scurry. She heard a voice like voices of doves cooing all together. They sounded kind and full of loves in the pleasant weather. Laura stretched her gleaming neck like a rush embedded, embedded swan, like a lily from the beck, like a moonlit poplar branch, like a vessel at the launch
6: when its last restraint is gone.
2: Backwards up the mossy glen turned and trooped the goblin men with their shrill repeated cry, come by, come by. When they reached where Laura was, they stood stock still upon the moss, leering at each other, brother with queer brother signaling each other, brother with sly brother. One set his basket down, one reared his plate, one began to weave a crown of tendrils, leaves and rough nuts brown, Men sell not such in any town. One heaped the golden weight of dish and fruit to offer her, come by, come by, was still their cry. Laura stared, but did not stir, longed, but had no money. The whisked-tailed merchant bade her taste in tones as smooth as honey. The cat-face purred, the rat-faced spoke a word, Welcome, and the snail-paste was even heard. One parrot-voiced and jolly cried, Pretty goblin still for pretty Polly. One whistled like a bird.
3: But sweet tooth Laura spoke in haste, Good folk, I have no coin to take where to pour loin. I have no copper in my purse, I have no silver either, And all my gold is on the f- Furs that shakes the windy weather, above the above the rusty heather. You have much gold upon your head. They'd answered all together. Buy from us with a golden curl. She'd clip a precious golden lock. She dropped a tear more rare than pearl. Then sucked their fruit, globes fair to red, fair or red, sweeter than honey from the rock. Stronger than men rejoicing wine. Clearer than water flowed that juice she never tasted before. How should it cloy with length of use? She sucked and sucked and sucked the more fruits which that unknown orchard bore. She sucked until her lips were sore, then flung the empty brines away, but gathered up one kernel stone and knew it was night and knew not was it night or day, and she, as she turned home alone.
0: Lizzie met her at the gate, full of wise upbraidings. Dear, you should not stay so late. Twilight is not good for maidens. Should not loiter in the glen in the haunts of goblin men? Do you not remember, Jenny, how she met them in the moonlight? Took their gifts both choice and many, ate their fruits and wore their flowers, plucked from bowers where summer ripens at all hours, but ever in the moonlight she pined and pined away, sought them by night and day, found them no more, but dwindled and grew gray, then fell with the first snow, while to this day, no grass will grow, where she lies low. I planted daisies there a year ago that never blow. You should not loiter so. Nay, hush, said Laura, nay, hush, my sister, I ate and ate my fill, yet my mouth waters still. Tomorrow night I will buy more, and kissed her. Have done with sorrow, I'll bring you plums tomorrow, fresh on their mother twigs, cherries worth getting. You cannot think what figs my teeth have met in. What melons, icy cold, piled on a dish of gold, too huge for me to hold. What peaches with a velvet nap, pellucid grapes without one seed, Odorous indeed must be the mead, whereon they grow and pure the wave they drink, with lilies at the brink, oh and sugar sweet their sap.
1: Golden head by golden head, like two pigeons in one nest, folded in each other's wings, they lay down in their curtain bed, like two blossoms on one stem, like two flakes of new fallen snow, like two wands of ivory tipped with gold for awful kings. Moon and stars gazed in at them. Wind sang to them lullaby. Lumbering owls forebode to fly. Not a bat flapped to and fro round their rest, cheek to cheek and breast to breast, locked together in one nest.
4: Early in the morning when the first cock crowed his warning meet like bees as sweet and busy, Laura rose with Lissy. Fetched in honey, milked the cows, aired and set to rights the house, needed cakes of whitest wheat, cakes for dainty mouths to eat. Next, churned spudder, whipped up cream, fed their poultry, sat and sewed, talked as modest maidens should. Lizzie with an open heart, Laura in an absent dream, one content, one sick in part, one warbling for the mere bright day's delight, one longing for the night.
5: At length, slow evening came. They went with pitchers to the reedy brook. Lizzie most placid in her look, Laura most like a leaping flame. They drew the gurgling water from its deep. Lizzie plucked purple and rich golden flags. Then turning homeward said, "The the sunset flushes those furthest loftiest crags. Come, Laura, not another maiden lags. No willful squirrel wags. The beasts and birds are fast asleep but Laura loitered still among the rushes and said the bank was steep.
2: And said the hour was early still, the dew not fallen, the wind not chill, listening ever but not catching the customary cry, come by, come by, with its iterated jingle of sugar-baited words, not for all her watching, once discerning, even one goblin, racing, whisking, tumbling, hobbling, let alone the herds that used to trample along the glen in groups or single of brisk fruit merchant men. Till Lizzie urged, oh, Laura, come, I hear the fruit call, but I dare not look. We should not loiter at this brook. Come with me home. The stars rise, the moon bends her arc, each glowworm winks her spark. Let us get home before the night grows dark. For clouds may gather, though this is summer weather. Put out the lights and drench us through. Then if we lost our
3: way, what should we do? Laura turned cold as stone To find her sister heard that cry alone, that goblin cry, come buy our fruits, come buy. Must she then buy no more such dainty fruit? Must she no more such succous pasture find? Gone deaf and blind? Her tree of life drooped from the root. She said not one word in her heart's sore ache, but peering through the dimness, not discerning, Trudged home, her pitcher dripping all the way, so crept to bed and lay silent till Lizzie slept, then sat up in a passionate yearning and gnashed her teeth for bulk desire and wept as if her heart would break.
0: Day after day, night after night, Laura kept watch in vain, in sullen silence of exceeding pain. She never caught again the goblin cry. Come by, come by. She never spied the goblin men hawking their fruits along the glen. But when the noon waxed bright, her hair grew thin and gray. She dwindled as the fair full moon doth turn to swift decay and burn her fire away.
1: One day, remembering her Colonel Stone, she set it by a wall that faced the south, Dewed it with tears, hoped for a root, watched for a waxing shoot. But there came none. It never saw the sun, it never felt the trickling moisture run. While with sunk eyes and faded mouth, she dreamed of melons as a traveller sees, false waves in desert drought, with shades of leaf count trees, And burns the thirstier in the
4: sandful breeze. She no more swept the house, tended the fowls and cows, fetched honey, kneaded cakes of wheat, brought water from the brook, but sat down listless in the chimney-nook, and wouldn't eat. Tender Lizzie could not bear to watch her sister's cankerous's care, yet no share she night and morning caught the goblins, cry, "Come by our orchard fruits, come by, come by, beside the brook along the glen, she heard the trap of goblins. The yoke and stir, poor Laura could not hear, longed to buy fruit to comfort her, but feared to pay who dear. She thought of Jeanie in her grave, who should have been a bride, but who, for joy's brides, hoped to have fell sick and died in her gay prime, In earliest winter time, with the first glancing rhyme with the first snowfall of crisp winter time.
5: Till Laura dwindling seemed knocking at death's door, then Lizzie weighed no more better and worse, but put a silver penny in her purse. Kissed Laura, crossed the heath with clumps of furs, at twilight halted by the brook, and for the first time in her life, began to listen and look. Laughed every goblin when they spied her peeping, came towards her hobbling, flying, running, leaping, puffing and blowing, chuckling, clapping, crowing, clucking and gobbling, mopping and mowing, mowing, full of airs and graces, pulling wry faces, demure grimaces, cat-like and rat-like, rattle and wombat-like, snail-paced in a hurry, parrot-voiced and whistler, helter-skelter, hurry-scurry, chattering like magpies, fluttering like pigeons, gliding like fishes, hugged her and kissed her, squeezed and caressed her, stretched up their dishes, panniers and plates, look at our apples, russet and done, bob at our cherries, bite at our peaches, citrons and dates, grapes for the asking, pears red with basking, out in the sun, plums on their twigs, pluck them and suck them, pomegranates, figs. Good folk, said Lizzie,
2: mindful of Jeannie, give me much and many, held out her apron, tossed them her penny, nay, take a seat with us, honor and eat with us answered, grinning. Our feast is but beginning. Night yet is early, warm and dew-pearly. Wakeful and starry, such fruits as these no man can carry. Half their bloom would fly, half their dew would dry, half their flavor would pass by. Sit down and feast with us. Be welcome guests with us, cheer you, and rest with us. Thank you, said Lizzie, but one waits, at home for me. So without further parleying, if you will not sell me any of your fruits, though much and many, give me back my silver penny. I tossed you for a fee. They began to scratch their pates, no longer wagging, purring, but visibly demurring, grunting, snarling. One called her proud, cross-grained, uncivil, their tones waxed loud, their looks were evil. Lashing their tails, they trod and hustled her, elbowed and jostled her, clawed with their nails, barking, mewing, hissing, mocking, tore her gown, soiled her stocking, twitched her hair out by their roots, stamped, ab- stamped upon her tender feet, held her hands, and squeezed their fruits against her mouth to make her eat.
0: White and golden, and Lizzie stood, like a lily in a flood, like a rock of blue vein stone, lashed by tides obstreperously, like a beacon left alone in a hoary roaring sea, sending up a golden fire like a fruit crowned orange tree, white with blossoms, honey sweet, sore beset by wasp and bee, like a royal virgin town, topped with gilded dome and spire, close beleaguered by a fleet, mad to tug her standard down.
3: One may lead a horse to water. Twenty cannot make him drink. Though the goblins cuffed and caught her, coaxed and fought her, bullied and besought her, scratched her, pinched her, black as ink, kicked and knocked her, mauled and mocked her, Lizzie uttered not a word, would not open lip from lip, lest they should cram a mouthful in, but left in heart to feel the drip of juice that syruped all her face and lodged in dimples of her chin and streaked her neck, which quaked like curd. At last, the evil people, worn out by her resistance, flung back her penny, kicked her fruit or kicked their fruit along whichever road they took. Not leaving root or stone or shoot, some withered on into the ground. Some dived into the brook with ring and ripple. Some scudded on the gale without a sound. Some vanished in the distance. In a
1: smart ache tingle, Lizzie went her way. Knew it was not night or day. Sprang up the bank. Tore through the firs, Threaded corpse and dingle and heard her penny jingle, bouncing in her purse. Its bounce was music to her ear. She ran and ran as if she feared some goblin man. Dogged her with gibber curse, or something worse. But not one goblin scurried after, nor was she pricked by fear. The kind heart made her windy paste that urged her home quite out of breath with haste, and inward laughter
4: she cried laura up the garden did you miss me come and kiss me never mind my bruises Hug me kiss me suck my juices squeezed from goblin fruits for you goblin pulp and goblin jew eat me drink me love me laura make much of me for your sake i've braved the glen and had to do with goblin merchantmen."
5: laura started from her chair flung her arms up in the air clutched her hair Lizzie, Lizzie, have you tasted for my sake the fruit forbidden? Must your light like mine be hidden, your young life like mine be wasted, undone in mine undoing and ruined in my ruin? Thirsty, cankered, goblin ridden, she clung about her sister, kissed and kissed and kissed her. Tears once again refreshed her shrunken eyes. Dropping like rain after long, sultry drow, shaking with anguished fear and pain, she kissed and kissed her with a hungry mouth.
2: Her lips began to scorch. That juice was wormwood to her tongue. She loathed the feast, writhing. As one possessed, she leapt and sung, rent all her robe, and wrung her hands in lamentable haste, and beat her breast, her locks streamed like the torch, borne by a racer at full speed, or like the mane of horses in their flight, or like an eagle when she stems the light straight toward the sun, like a caged thing freed, like a flying flag, an army's rock.
3: Swift fire spread through her veins, knocked at her heart, met the fire smoldering there and overbore its lesser flame. She gorged on bitterness without a name. Ah, fool to choose such part of soul-consuming care sense failed in the mortal strife like the watchtower of a town which an earthquake shatters down like a lightning stricken mast like a wind uprooted tree spun around like a foam-topped waterspout, cast headlong cast down headlong in the sea she fell at last pleasure passed and anguish passed is it death or is it life
0: life out of death. That night long Lizzie watched by her, counted her pulses flagging stir, felt for her breath, held water to her lips and cooled her face with tears and fanning leaves. But when the first birds chirped about their eaves and early reapers plodded to the place of golden sheaves and dew wet grass bowed in the morning wind so brisk to pass and new buds with new day opened of cup like lilies on the stream. Laura awoke as from a dream, laughed in the innocent old way, hugged Lizzie, but not twice or thrice. Her gleaming locks showed not one thread of gray. Her breath was sweet as may and light danced in her eyes.
1: Days, weeks, months, years, afterwards when both were wives with children of their own, their mother hearts beset with fears their lives bound up in tender lives. Laura would call the little ones and tell them of her early prime. Those pleasant days long gone of not returning time would talk about the haunted Glen, the wicked quaint fruit merchant men, their fruits like honey to the throat, but poison in the blood. Men sell not such in any town, would tell them how her sister stood in deadly peril to do her good and win the fiery antidote, then joining hands to little hands would bid them cling together for there is no friend like a sister in calm or stormy weather to cheer one on the tedious way, to fetch one if one goes astray, to lift one if one totters down, to strengthen whilst one stands.
0: Thank you all for listening, and we hope you're staying safe and healthy out there. And we can't wait for our next Poetry Playhouse. And thanks to all of our performers. Here is our bookmark to the episode. We now present Emily and Michael O'Brien performing Blackberry Blossom. Mm